Well, good morning. Welcome to LifePoint. Thanks for being here today and sharing part of your morning with us. If you're here for the first time, I just want to say thanks for coming and spending part of your day with us and checking out our church. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're happy that you're here. I'd love to meet you after the service. Some of the other pastors and I will be down front. If you could just come down and say hello and let us know a little bit more about yourself and how you found yourself, found your way here uh, to LifePoint today. We are in a series called Summer at the Lake. Anybody spent time around the water this summer? I've got to do that. We've, I've gotten to do that over the last few weeks because our teaching team has done such an awesome job at starting out this series for us in the month of July. I've gotten to go vacation a little bit and have some fun. So thank you, teaching team. You guys have done an awesome job. So we're looking at these sections of Scripture that focus around this lake called the Sea of Galilee in the New Testament. And all the things that Jesus did around that lake. Well, today you're going to hear from a good friend of mine. His name is Dave Milam. He's the lead pastor at One Life Church in Charlotte. And you're going to really enjoy and be encouraged by what Dave has to say. So let's welcome Dave to the stage. All right. We've got a lot to cover today. And so we don't have a ton of time to mess around. So uh, are you guys okay just jumping right on in? That's what I like to hear. I like to hear that. All right, so you know this guy named Jesus, right? You've been introduced. And um, there's this guy, Jesus, and he is kind of on a Western tour um, of like the Jerusalem area. And he's just walking around teaching. He's got disciples in tow. And he'll do things like, you know, feed 4,000 people, argue with Pharisees, Sadducees, you know, a typical day for you and I. And um, that's what Jesus would do. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment when Jesus is spending time with just his disciples. And Jesus always does these amazing things that I would never do, nor could I ever do. But in this specific instance, Jesus does something that I would absolutely never do. He, He has his disciples around, and he looks at them, and he asks this incredibly bold question. He asks this. It's up on the screen. Who are the people saying I am? Now, listen, I would never ask, I would never gather my friends around a table at Cracker Barrel and just say, hey, um, you and I, I just want to ask a question. Uh, who are people saying that I am? Who, who, who is, because I'd be afraid of what they might possibly say. I mean, I'd be afraid that they would look at me and say, yeah, Dave, glad you asked. Um, yeah, uh, we saw you at the beach and we just have to ask, are you pregnant? I'm like, no, I'm 40, I'm 40, and and I'm a guy, that doesn't happen, or they might even say, hey, listen, you've got four kids, you've got a dog, Um, I I know you don't have the whole beard, but are you like undercover Amish or something? I mean, you keep all these kids, that's not normal, that's not normal, or they might look at me and say, hey, just FYI, 1992 called, they want their goatee back. Like, I would never do that. I would never sit down with my friends and just say, what are people saying about me? But Jesus does. And his disciples, they all kind of kick in and throw out some answers. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah the prophet. And Jesus then looks at them and says, I got that, but let me ask you a question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, I don't know if you know anything about Peter, but he has this foot and mouth disease. Like he just, before he even thinks, he just says, first thing that comes to his mind. And and Peter then answers this question. Here's what Peter says. He says this, you are the Christ, the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. Like doesn't even think, just spits it out. And all of a sudden in this moment, you start to see Jesus handing out gold stars to Peter. He's like, Peter, blessed are you. And then he even goes so far as to say this. He says this, and I tell you that Peter, and Jesus does this like really incredible Greek word play with Petros, which is Peter, and Petra, which is rock. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, um, I'd like to introduce to you uh, a very important part of the story here under this. Let's hear it for um, what I have under this blanket here. Let's hear it for the rock, everybody. Make a note to yourself that today at church, you clapped for a rock. Congratulations. No, we actually, um, we got this from a graveyard. I, I'm kidding. We didn't really. Some of you were like, how terrible. Um, I, I, love, I love this. It's like, we had it sitting over here when I got here, but I wanted it moved over here. And so three of us um, tried to move it, but I mean, we put all our force into it. And this thing, I think it weighs about 3,000 pounds. Um, I would have moved it myself, but I didn't want to rip my shirt, you know, because I'm speaking today. So we finally got the hand truck over here, and we moved it, and there it is. It's the rock. And I wonder, I wonder what Peter was thinking in his head when Jesus said that. Perhaps, like the message translation gives us this kind of different flavor of the verse. Here's how the message puts it. Same verse. My Father in heaven, God himself let you in on the secret of who I really am, Peter. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. And then Jesus says this to Peter in the message version. You are Peter. You're a rock. And th this is the rock on which I will put together church and even if the church will be so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out now it's bad theology to say that this is the moment when jesus named peter the pope that's not what this is saying here but i wonder what happened in peter's brain i wonder if in this moment peter said yeah now that you mention it jesus i actually think you're right I am the rock. I could make movies. I could be a bodybuilder. It would be fantastic. I am the rock. As a matter of fact, Jesus, I'm a spiritual heavyweight. Like when you look at this, I'm immovable. I'm unshakable. I'm like foundation. Like you can't move me. You can't shake me. I'm hardcore. I'm Jesus, you nailed it. I'm the rock. I wonder if that clicked in Peter's brain, because if you just notice, even a few verses later in Matthew 16, look at what Peter says when Jesus starts talking about the fact that he's got to die. He says this, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. It's, it's almost as if Peter is saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus, stop, stop right there. You're talking about your death? I, I think you have forgotten what you just said a couple verses ago. Remember you called me this? I'm a rock. Jesus, you don't need to worry about anything. Like, you can count on me. Like, if somebody's coming after you, I will be your guard, man. You can count on me. I'm your rock. I'm unshakable. I'm immovable. Jesus, don't forget that. 
It's like a year later and 10 chapters later in the same book of Matthew, Jesus is hanging out with the people at the, um, at the Passover. They're posing for a painting at this moment. And there they are. Jesus has passed the bread and the wine. And then Jesus starts talking about the fact that he's going to die. And then Peter, he kicks in again. Look at what Peter says in Matthew 26. He says this, Jesus, even if everybody else falls away on the count of you, I never will. Jesus, I, I think maybe you've forgotten. I'm a rock. You can count on me. Jesus, I, I, I'm immovable. I'm unshakable. I, I am firm. I've got this. I've got this, Jesus. Don't you worry about a thing, Jesus. Even a few verses later, he says this, even if I have to die with you, next, back slide. Even if I have to die with you, go back one slide, there you go. I will never disown you. Jesus. Remember back in that day when I said the right thing, I never do, but I did then, and then you looked at me and said, you're a rock, you nailed it, gold star. Don't forget Jesus. I will, how, look, I like how Luke puts it. Luke says it this way, next slide. Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to death. Jesus, I don't know if you've forgotten or not, but I'm, I'm the rock. You can count on me, immovable, unshakable. I, Jesus, I've got your back here. So Jesus is now at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and then he comes back to his disciples, and before you know it, all of these guards come their direction. They're there to arrest Jesus. Judas then kisses Jesus on the face, and then they go to arrest him, and they ask Jesus. They say, are you Jesus Christ? And Jesus says, I am. And when he speaks, I am, the entire crowd falls to the ground. <laughs> well, they get up. And I, I, they ask it again, Scripture says. I don't know if they changed their tone. Maybe they were like, are you Jesus? He's like, yeah, I am. They didn't fall the second time. And then they begin to arrest Jesus. And you see Peter living up to his commitment for just a moment. He grabs his sword and he swings it at a servant's head. He misses and hits the ear. So apparently Peter is not a great aim. Jesus repairs the ear, puts the sword away, and Jesus is arrested. And then Jesus is now on trial before the chief priests. And scripture tells us that Peter is seated around a fire to keep warm. And a slave girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, you, weren't you with him? And Peter looks at the slave girl and says, no, I wasn't and denies Jesus. Scripture then tells us that Peter went just a little bit away, maybe stood on something near a gate just to watch Jesus. And someone then came up to him and said, hey, you were with that Jesus character. And Peter said, no, 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 not me. And denied Jesus two times. Now, I, I, I love what happened because <laughs> this is like the worst luck ever. So Peter is walking around the courtyard and runs into someone who's a relative of the guy who cut, he got his ear cut off. 
He was there in the garden when his cousin, got, cousin Eddie got his ear cut off. And uh, he looks at Peter and says, you were that guy with the bad aim. You, you were with Jesus. And at this point, Peter just curses and denies Jesus three times. Somehow, Jesus and Peter were kind of in the same space where they could see each other. And then at this moment, at the time of the third denial, something happens that was devastating to Peter. Put it up on the screen. This is what Luke 22 says. The Lord then at that moment turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine that moment? Like this whole time, years upon years, you've been saying, Jesus, you can count on me. I'm the rock immovable, unshakable. This is me, Jesus. Like, I know you're talking about dying. I know you're talking about being arrested and being beaten, but no, 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 no. You have forgotten what you have called me. Jesus, I'm the rock. Like, it's at this moment when Peter all of a sudden realizes that he's not the rock. At best, He's just this, just a tiny little pebble that doesn't make a difference that can be thrown around any direction. Like it's at this moment when he looks in Jesus's eye that he realizes all of these claims about who I said I was going to be or who I was, I'm not that. I'm just this. You've been there, haven't you? came before the church, or maybe it was a campfire at camp back in the day. And the guy was playing guitar, and you felt moved, and you came forward, and you stood among a group of people who was just looking at you, and you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible three times a day. I'm going to pray. Every, I'm going to fast for the next 50 days. I mean, I am for Jesus. You can count on me, Jesus. You can count on me, church. And a couple weeks later, maybe a month or two later, you're no longer reading. You're back in your old habits. And before you know it, you look at that commitment you made where you stood before a group of people and before your God. And you said, I'm going to be that. But then you realized, best case scenario, on your very best day, you're that. And there Peter is, realizing on my best day. Well, John is a brilliant writer. I, I love the next part of our story because John follows the rules of writing that my fifth grade English teacher taught me. My fifth grade English teacher said, you need to always write in the third person, never put yourself in the story and use your first name or say me. I don't know why that's a rule, but apparently in fifth grade it was. 
And apparently John had that same teacher because whenever John writes his, his little story of his experience with Jesus, he never refers to himself as John. He always refers to himself as the other disciple. And then he'll even throw in this tagline, which he's, I don't know if he made for himself, um, but he always throws in this tagline, you know, the one that Jesus loved. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. And so I'm going to read, this is like, if you're a preacher, you think this is hilarious. If you're a normal person, um, actually, yeah, if you're normal <laughs> and not weird like me, then maybe it's funny to you. I don't know. But for me, I'm just, it's hysterical to me. Here's John writing in John chapter 20. He tells the story. John is writing in the third person. He says this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, (laughs) and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. This is awesome. So Peter and the other disciple, you know, started for the tomb. Both were running But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked, he had so much time, he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but it didn't go in. So Peter finally came and went back in. He went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place. Go back one more. Let me finish the slide. Go back. Flying this place separate from the linen. Next slide. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first (laughs) also went inside and saw and he believed. I wonder at this moment what Peter was feeling on the inside. Like here is his Messiah and his Savior who publicly he, bow, he vowed to protect. Like publicly he said, I'm immovable, I'm unshakable, you can count on me, but it wasn't long before he denied Jesus three times and realized that he was just this and now this Jesus may have risen from the dead. So all the disciples got together in this town home, second floor, locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jews that might come and seek them out to kill them. Look at this next part, same chapter, just a little bit further on down. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I wonder if Peter was overjoyed. I wonder if all the disciples were like, yeah, Jesus, you're back. And Peter was like, oh, great, you're back. Like, I, I let you down, dude. Everybody knows I let you down. You know I let you down. And now you're here in this room with us. I wonder if that moment was at all like really, really awkward for Peter. 
You know, you know when your boss asks you to do something and you say, yeah, sure, I'll do it, and then you go and you forget, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in the same room with your boss and you know you just dropped the ball? You know that awkward moment where you're like, oh, please don't say something? I, I wonder if Peter was feeling that. I wonder if Peter was actually also very like, afraid. Now, I'll admit this to you. Um, when I drive, you know, I just drive... Um, occasionally, it doesn't have, it's probably only happened twice in my lifetime, I'll hit a squirrel with my tire. And you f- hear it go thump, 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 thump. I, I feel really bad about that when that happens. If it were a cat, not so bad. <laughs> squirrel, feel bad, right? I've never hit a cat, FYI, so just, I'm still holy. Um, and uh, I hit a squirrel... And let me just tell you the, the progression in my brain. I hit a squirrel. I go, oh, no, I hit a squirrel. I look in my rearview mirror, and then I keep going, and I pretty much forget about it. But if the squirrel were to come back to life, <laughs> and I was responsible for part of the death of the squirrel, maybe not protecting the squirrel, it might freak me out. And here's Peter in the same room for the person that he vowed to protect, and he didn't protect. I wonder if it freaked him out. I wonder if Peter felt a deep sense of shame. Like, I promise to do this for you. I promise to be your rock, immovable, unshakable. I promise to be the spiritual heavyweight for you, Jesus, and I let you down. I wonder if Peter just was like, I'm done. I'm not... I'm not doing this anymore. As a matter of fact, in this next verse, you you will see that Peter actually says this. Next slide. He says this, I'm gonna go out and fish. And the implication here is, I'm done with this discipleship thing. Like, I'm not a very good disciple at all. Like, Jesus lays out these commands. I make these commitments. I can't follow through with the commitments. I claim to be that, but was really that. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just not good at it. I, I'm going to go back to doing something I'm good at. I'm going to go fish. I wonder if that's ever happened to you. Where you came to church and you made these commitments and you claimed to be that, but found out you were this. And before you know it, you're like, ah, I made these commitments. It's awkward. I don't know what to do. And so maybe I just realized I'm not a very good Christian. I don't tithe very well. I don't pray very well. I don't read my Bible very well. As much as I pretend, stand in front of everybody and wear the right dress and say the right things that I'm this, really, I'm this. And I wonder if you've maybe just felt like giving up walking out. So Peter then goes to the Sea of Galilee to fish his summer by the lake. And there he is. He's fishing with his buddies. And um, all night they haven't caught anything. It's been a rough night. And Jesus shows up on the shore, but they don't know it's Jesus. And this person on the shore says, have you caught anything? And they said, no. Then this a random guy on the shore says, try the right side of the boat. And they do. And the net fills with fish, and before you know it, Peter is so aware that that's Jesus standing on the shore. He grabs his shirt, doesn't even put it on, and jumps in the water to swim to Jesus. And Jesus fixes dinner for them. 
It was probably five stars. And then there's this moment. It's the first moment in Scripture where we know that Peter and Jesus were together. And they had this one-on-one conversation. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In the Greek, this is a phenomenal conversation because Jesus then looks at Peter and he says this, Peter, I gotta ask you a question. Are you going to love me like this? Are you going to be the kind that loves me with agape love? You're immovable, unshakable. You're willing to sacrifice anything for me. Are you that guy for me, Peter? Do you love me? And Peter, he looks at Jesus and he says, Dad, Jesus, you know I love you, but it's, It's like this. At best, I love you like a brother. I know I claim to be this self-sacrificial, immovable, spiritual heavyweight, but at best, Jesus, I'm just this. Then Jesus looks at Peter and says, I still want you to feed my sheep. Like, I still have a very important job for you. I believe in you, Peter. I trust you, Peter. Peter, you were worth dying for. And then Jesus asks it again. Same question. He says, Peter, I have to ask you, are you going to love me like this? Are you going to give me this agape love? Are you going to be a spiritual heavyweight? Are you going to be someone I can always count on? And then Peter says, Jesus, Jesus, you know I love you, but I love you like this. I love you like a brother, and that's about all I can muster up. It's my best, Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter and says, yeah, feed my sheep. And then Jesus flips the question, and he says this. He looks at Peter, and he says, all right, Peter. Will you love me like this? Will you give me your everything? It's pretty clear that we all know that you can't love me like this, that you can't sacrifice, you can't be the spiritual heavyweight that you claim to be. So because we all know that, Peter, I want to ask you, love me like this? Peter responds, Jesus, you know, you know, I love you like this. And Jesus looks at him and says, all right then, I want you to take care of my sheep. I trust you. I believe in you. I have a very important job for you. And you, Peter, are worth dying for. I am, I'm a pastor in Charlotte, and so um, I get to be a paid Christian, so my job is to be really good, and um, I remember a couple of years ago, 
I got up early one morning, and um, I was late for a men's Bible study at Bojangles, which is the holiest place of all to have Bible studies if you're a man. Chicken in the Bible, worked for Chick-fil-A, I guess. And um, so I'm late, and so I I know that I can make up time here, because I've got the pedal on the right, and I know how to mash it down. And so I get in my VW Beetle at the time, and I pull out of my cul-de-sac, and I'm getting ready to just take off like a jet engine, three, two, one, and I'm going to go. And my neighbor starts to back out of his driveway. He's older, and he has like a 1970 pickup truck, not the refurbished kind, but the, you know, the rusted out kind. And he pulls out of the street and starts driving down our neighborhood road in slow motion. Our, our speed limit is 25 miles an hour. And he, I think, is going 15, topping it. He comes to the first stop sign, and he stops at a full stop. And I'm in a hurry here, right? And so I just, I'm holding it in. And then he turns the corner and he's driving in the middle of the road and then he stops in the middle of the road. I I see the brake, the the reverse light flash, which means he put it in park. He leans over to his truck and rolls down the window. And he looks at these kids playing in the yard. He starts waving to them. And I'm back there going, dude, Seriously, have your moment somewhere else. I've got to go. Jesus needs me right now. I don't know if you know that. There are people who are not going to know how to study or read the Bible unless I show up. So get out of my way, old man. He does that for a couple minutes, and I'm back there going. And then he goes, and he pulls into a two-lane road, which is the major road outside of our deal. And since I'm you know, a pastor, you don't flip people off. You just zoom around them really hard. Just so they know. You've held me up. I get to my Bible study. They're about done. They didn't really need me. A couple days later, I'm uh, walking to my mailbox. And I see him also walking to his mailbox. And so it's that awkward moment again. So I, I do what every Christian should do. I just pretend not to see him and walk toward my mailbox. And I see that he, out of the corner of my eye, I see that he passes his mailbox and starts walking to the center of my cul-de-sac. I'm the only guy there, so he's coming to see me. And it reaches the point where I realize I can't really avoid this, so I walk toward him, and he's carrying a piece of paper. And I'm like, oh my goodness, did he write me a letter? Is this like a... Is this like a citizen's ticket? Can you do that? I don't know if you can do that. We meet in the center of the cul-de-sac and he looks at me. And he says, I don't know if you know this, but over this past weekend, my wife died. This past Tuesday morning, I buried her. And then it all came together for me. When he was pulling out in front of me and going so slow, the guy was going to bury his wife. No wonder he's driving slow. I would drive slow too. 
And when he reached that section of the road where he saw the kids, I wonder what was going on inside of him. I wonder if he was like, oh, I remember when my kids were that age. And they would play in the yard and my wife would play with them. And then he'd wave. It was in that moment at the center of our cul-de-sac that I really realized as much as I want to be, as much as I claim to be out loud, I am not the rock. I am not the spiritual heavyweight. I'm really, as much as I want it to be, not the guy that Jesus can count on. In my very best days, I'm that. So movable, so shakable, so insignificant, even thrown in a puddle. It would only be, the waves would only be there for a second. I'm just that. And so I wonder if that ever happens to you. I wonder if you ever show up and you've made commitments to Christ and you've dropped on those commitments. You've made commitments to your spouse or your husband or your kids or your boss and you haven't followed through. You stood before a group of people and you said, I will never drink again. I will never look at porn again. I will be faithful. I will never lie. I will never shoplift. I will never gossip again. You can count on me. You can count on me. I'm immovable. I'm unshakable. I'm this spiritual heavyweight. And it's not just a few weeks later and a few months later that you realize you can't hold it together. And you're not the guy you stood up in front of everybody else and said that you wanted to be or could be. Let me tell you the good news. If Jesus were here right now and he was having that one-on-one conversation with you, you know what it would look like? Jesus would look at you in a summer by the lake, and he would say, are you going to say you're going to be this for me? And you would have to say, at best, Jesus, this best day. And Jesus would look at you. And he would say, I know, I know. It's why I died. I love you enough. I believe in you enough. I will call you my child. You are worth dying for. I have a plan for your life. I have a job for you to feed my sheep. It's a big, big deal. Even this, if that's all you have, if you're willing to give it, Jesus is willing to take it. So let me bring this to you close. In a room this size, there's a group of you who have never named the Jesus, uh, name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to be this rock to everybody you know. The great thing about becoming a Christian is you can't admit you're that. You actually have to admit you're this before Jesus will save you. And maybe you need to be united with him in baptism. And then there are many of you, listen, 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 who have dropped the ball on commitments you've made to Christ or to other people. 
And there's part of you that wants to give up. And maybe you have on the inside. You're still here, you're going through the motions, but on the inside, you're done. Jesus would look at you and say, will you give me what you have? I know you're not that. But will you give me this? Let's pray. God in heaven, we are so grateful for your grace and your love. For when we've claimed to be this huge, immovable, unshakable thing, you know we're not. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name.